Welcome to Stop Back and Roll, a podcast that's just me today. I'm James. I've been doing a lot of traveling recently, and so we couldn't record an episode of Stop Back and Roll. But I felt like this would be a great opportunity to properly introduce you to Game Closet. Game Closet is a po- an interview podcast by Taylor LeBresh, who is at Leviathan Files on Twitter. It is an interview podcast where Taylor talks to LGBT plus people in tabletop gaming, whether they're creators, fans, or really anyone. He is an excellent interviewer, and really these conversations are like some of the most fun interviews I've ever heard on a podcast, and you should really give it a shot. So the ep- his episodes go a little bit longer than ours, so this will be about the first half to two-thirds of the interview. Give it a listen, and if you like it, which I'm sure you will, go check out the Game Closet feed and listen to the rest of the episode, and then all of the rest of his episodes because Game Closet is phenomenal. As a quick content warning, while we try to keep the language on Stop, Back, and Roll at about a PG level, there are some swear words, um, some four-letter words in this episode of Game Closet. So if you're listening with small children, uh, prepare them for that, I guess, or listen to this one by yourself. Here we go. Welcome to another episode of Game Closet. You can support Game Closet on Patreon at patreon.com slash riverhousegames. And you can visit more Riverhouse Games content at riverhousegames.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Leviathan Files. This episode of Game Closet was edited by me, Taylor Labresh. Show music is by Corb Leary. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Game Closet, the show where we talk to all sorts of really amazing queer and LGBT plus tabletop role-playing folks, gamers, designers, podcasters, what have you. I am very, very proud to talk to a friend of mine today uh, who has some really great games that we're going to have uh, a blast jumping into. Sam, why don't you say hey to folks? Hi, uh, I'm Sam, Samantha Day. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Passerins, and you can find my games uh, at passerins.itch.io, and my pronouns are she, her. Hell yeah. And thank you for that reminder. My pronouns are he, him. Uh, I'll cut that into something there. Um, we are going to have a, a fun time talking here, Sam, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, I, I listen to this podcast uh, a whole lot. Um, I'm a big fan, and I'm really, really excited to be on. Hell Yeah. Um, I have been looking at your games and thinking, well, Sam would be a great guest here uh, for a while now, and I I think we could just jump in and talk about some of your games here. The first one that I really want to pick your brain about is Hard Times, Uh, and we have had a couple folks who are wrestling fans on the show in the past, uh, and I'm excited to continue that trend. Yeah, so Hard Times is, it was written for Jeff Stormer's pro wrestling game Slam, and it is a two-player game that's a hack of Alex Roberts's Starcrossed. Uh, it simulates a really, 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 really horny feud between two wrestlers. <laughs> yeah, so I, I wrote it in under two weeks. It was very stressful, but also very fun. Um, and there's a very, very funny recording of me and my roommate playing it. Oh, hell yeah. That would not make for good podcast audio because... We're like two people with one mind. But yeah, it's... I love Starcrossed and I love wrestling. Hell so. yeah. Um, I think 
both of those things, both Starcrossed and wrestling, lend themselves very well to the stories that I think we really enjoy. Um, what about wrestling appeals to you as as a game designer or a storyteller? Well, it's it's I, I believe on the Jeff Stormer episode he referred to it as the world's longest and most successful LARP, and it's it's two people in a ring together, two or more people in a ring together telling a story. And maybe there's an audience, but really it's just about them and the story they are telling. Mm-hmm. And it's gay as hell, which is also how I like my games. Yeah. Um, as someone who does not watch wrestling, I think my enjoyment comes from watching people who do watch wrestling engage with it. And so, you know, I, I see when you tweet about wrestling or when you make a wrestling game... Um, it shows me what you love about wrestling and especially with hard times it's like it's one of those pieces of media where I can I can tell that it's like something about something very specific about something that you love that I don't have maybe experience with and I really appreciate that yeah um it was inspired in part by so i dragged my roommate down into wrestling with me just like (laughs) i was dragged down into wrestling by somebody else Mm -hmm. and she got really 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 into this feud between two dudes Mm -hmm. named johnny gargano and tommaso champa it's been going on for like a year and a half the only reason it's not still going is because the bad guy tommaso champa has a neck injury and it's just imagine Pure top energy versus pure bottom energy. Okay. Um, Like, they were a tag team. They were best friends. Tommaso was at Johnny's wedding. And then, <laughs> after they'd reached the highest heights and fallen, Tommaso turned on Johnny. Ooh. And they're both, like, incredibly ripped and, like... Johnny Gargano suffers beautifully and she who had only gotten into wrestling previously because of women's wrestling was like Mm -hmm. I am so mad that I'm really really invested in this feud between these two dudes so like there are other feuds that I wanted to capture the feel of but like I kind of wrote it for her (laughs) to capture the feel of um, just like this this all consuming obsession two wrestlers have with each other yeah we see a lot of two-player games about like about that kind of dynamic, that relationship. So I'm thinking about like the hour between dog and wolf, or um, like what are some other good ones? Uh, of course, as soon as I say there's so many, my brain empties of every single one of them. Um, mm, but damn, like, now I can't think of any two-player games either. Right? <laughs> I cursed both of us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like making that kind of two people extremely entangled with each other emotionally i think is perfect fodder for a role-playing game and and for playing something out um as you were writing hard times like what what are some of the design aspects or design materials that you pulled in to in you know emphasize that well starcross honestly did most of the work for me Mm -hmm. um so it was a matter of reskinning it so it's not you know doomed lovers and more hey you are in a wrestling promotion you've been chucked into this feud together you have to make the best of it and making the best of it requires that you 
have a reason to be in this feud or, you know, you have found character motivation for the characters that you are playing as characters, if that makes Mm -hmm. any sense. Yeah. The meta is very deep. It's the deep meta. Um, And another thing I did to get off the Starcross mold was Starcross goes in a very specific order of scenes Mm -hmm. that you may not get to the end to, that you may not get to the end of. But in hard times, I as as I play tested this with my roommate who I wrote the whole last game for, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> um, we realized like the fixed order of scenes just doesn't work. Mm. So as opposed to pulling that in, I just threw that out uh, the window, yeah. and I added a list of possible dynamics for your feud. Nobody who's not already already interesting is going to play this game. I'm pretty sure, but um. I mean, you say that. I have it on my list. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'll play with you. <laughs> Hell yeah. I'll, I'll be your native guy. <laughs> Let's do it. Um, yeah. Let's do it right now. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. Um, yeah. I, I also really love games that put like competition in the same vein as like love or, or emotional attraction or like that's either romantic or sexual energy. Um, Starcross no. is absolutely a game about like sexual tension and you know what if they do, what if they don't, and hard times you know obviously addresses that. But like, well, you sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, well, wrestling's not really a. Com- I don't think of wrestling as a competition. Um, okay, it's it's a collaboration. Oh, yeah, it's you know. This may be tangential, but I, I just remember reading something about how, you know, when Mexican wrestlers go wrestle in Japan, um, there's obviously not a shared language between them. But, like, mm-hmm. the language of wrestling is universal. So that, like, even if they don't know that, um, even if, you know, you can't talk to each other, you know, when your heads are really close and the audience can't tell you're talking to each other, you still know if the other guy runs the other side of the ropes um, mm-hmm. and bounces off of them and runs at you, there's like four or five different things in the language of wrestling that that could mean. And you can work together to tell a story, even mm. if you can't talk. Um, so, yeah, I don't I don't think of it as a competition. And even in hard times, like, it makes it very explicit that, like, you're not trying to win the feud. Um, yeah. You are trying to build a legacy so that people remember your feud. Mm. Yeah. Uh, specifically, like, the the moves... Um, the moves I put in, like, you can make yourself look good, but you also have a very important responsibility to make the other wrestler look good. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're both unlimited times per scene. You can do that thing. Mm. Although they do require a pull. Okay. Um, but yeah, so everything is driving at collaboration, I would like to think. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Changing gears a little bit, you have some games on your itch page that are uh, that use a platform called Twine. And I don't know that we've really talked a lot about Twine on the show. But as we, you know, it's something that I'm interested in, especially as we move into kind of a more digital area for tabletop role-playing games as silly as that like sounds like a digital tabletop game Mm -hmm. looking at interactive fiction i think it would be you know it wouldn't be a great move if we didn't talk about twine 
can you give folks just like a, a quick like heads up what twine is like what they what you can do with it and then maybe talk a little bit about what what you found with the tool okay so twine is a tool for making interactive fiction yeah um it's got a very very simple language um that uses variables and conditional logic to change the state of the fiction as you go and it's that's whatever it's got a super super duper easy to use interface both versions of it there's twine one and twine two Mm -hmm. they both they both work great um and the user interface is super simple yeah it's it's a super easy baby's first interactive fiction tool that i like a lot and i've made three games in it all for this game jam called My First Game Jam, which is about uh, in two weeks. Two weeks? Yeah, it's two weeks. Mm-hmm. Learning something totally new. And it's a very friendly and open atmosphere. It's not competitive. It's you post your little development log and people comment on your progress. And it's got a very active community. Nice. What tools do you think we can learn for non-digital role-playing games that Twine can offer for us? You know, the answer to this question, I've been thinking about this a lot, and the answer to this question is tabletop games and interactive fiction don't have a ton in common. So I don't, think this, I don't think this is a fruitful line of questioning. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And we don't need to talk about it then. Yeah, no, Um. but feel free to ask me other questions. I can, I can keep talking about Twine. Um. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, so, like, what's something that you really really fell in love with making twine games can i be super duper real with you oh please okay so i wrote fan fiction for a really long time yep same but yeah like from when i was 13 until the election Mm -hmm. and like after the election all of my creative motivation was gone for obvious the world is horrible reasons Mm -hmm. so twine was a really easy way to write fiction just like for myself in Mm. digestible little 200 word chunks and uh, my first twine game was called a planet of certain mass Mm -hmm. and it was incredibly self-indulgent and did all of the body horror things that I liked. And my friends were not, all my friends were nice enough to play through it and find my bugs. And it just felt really good to do. I did it in twine one, which is, it has a less pretty user interface and twine one and twine two have slightly different languages Mm -hmm. to write in. And I ultimately like Twine one better because it is, I feel like it's more flexible, but it was on top of writing a cool story about, you know, a poor doctor who wakes up one day to find that her entire space station has just disappeared. Mm. Um, I was learning something cool and new and that like got my creative juices flowing. This also coincided with me getting super into tabletop games. Like I got into tabletop games um, this would have been 2017. So, like, in, like, May 2017, mm-hmm. I wrote this game July, August, and then by September of that year, I was fully balls deep in tabletop. <laughs> uh, so, it was part of the process of me finding new creative avenues for yeah. myself. Um, yeah. Um, 
I love that you you said that this was a self-indulgent game because I'm trying to find more creators' experiences and more games that are made by creators who are just saying like, hey, this is a thing that I'm making for me. Yeah, I see people put so much pressure on themselves to make meaningful work and I'm like, fuck it. Make a dumb make a dumb game about geese killing God. Yeah. Which is a real game that exists. Yeah, hell yeah. 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 Um, and like... I'll be honest, like, I find the games that people write for themselves so interesting, and I love so much about them, um, because I know that it's, like, this personal experience, and it feels like a window into, hey, here is this thing that I love, more than it feels like, hey, here is this gaming product that you want to buy. Yeah, I just wrote... I write a lot of Game Jam games, damn. For the Libre <laughs> Baskerville Jam, I just wrote another game just for me and my roommate um, yeah. called A Game for Two. Mm-hmm. It's like six pages of me just going on and on and on. It's got a subtitle that's like, two people trapped in a harsh environment rely on each other completely and learn something new about themselves by the end. But really, it's just like a game for the two of us and it's very self-indulgent and full of jokes and Mm -hmm. i'm proud of it yeah yeah and it felt good to write because it's not for you it's not for you you're not allowed to play it it's just (laughs) for us yeah which is perfect like more games that are not for everybody please yeah um game jams are good game jams are good i would not have written games without game jams it, um, it, I, I know I posted a hot take on Twitter that was like, hey, game jams have more in common with, like, fan fiction exchanges and fests than they <gasps> do with, like, traditional game jams. So I had not made that connection until you just said it right now, but 100% I agree. Yeah, yeah, the, you know, everybody with their heads down working on something, um, sporadically posting updates, suffering for the deadline. <laughs> Um, oh my which, god, I love that. Yeah, which sounds like a traditional game jam, sure, but if you have ever written for a fic exchange, you know you know what it is. Mm-hmm. You know what it is. <laughs> um, damn, that is really, really good. Like, comparison and analogy, and I think it opens up, like, a conversation about what games are and what they do, because, like, if you think about, like, the pre-game jam tabletop space and i i I feel pretentious even saying that oh yes the pre the pre jam tabletop if you think about game jams before the advent of itchio um (laughs) but like this is like a thing that is happening now it's 2019 we're six months almost like six and a half months in game jams aren't going anywhere in fact like they're getting more and more fun and like more and more people are doing them yeah, shout but out like, to RPG Design Friends for running, like, a billion yeah. jams. Um, yeah, and, you know, before before this, what did we have? We had 200-word RPG, which was yep. a straight-up competition, and also, like, where I wrote my first um, game, that's fine, mm-hmm. last year, and Game Chef. Yeah, we had the Golden Cobras. Yeah, that's what I was, yeah, that's, I was also thinking about that. And then, like, the one-page dungeon contest. And the Gauntlet ran a contest for Gauntlet Con last year. Okay. Um, but it was like for the Gauntlet. Mm-hmm. I think there was a cash prize. Whatever. 
I answered. I wrote something terrible. <laughs> Never speak to me about it. <laughs> um, Got to cross yeah. off all ten of those questions that I had prepared now. I know about my, <laughs> my very, very secret Dungeon World Dungeon Starter. <laughs> the Forbidden Dungeon Starter. <laughs> yeah, so... But like, yeah, and all of those, and all of those were competitions. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that it's easy to look at game jams and think like, okay, here is this competition. And for many video game jams, there is like rankings, there, there may be prizes. But like, I love that the tabletop community has just like decided not to do that with their game jams. Um, yeah. Because like, it's a box that you uncheck on itch.io when you set up your game jam you you have to consciously turn off ranking mm-hmm. um that's the thing i didn't know yeah uh and we as a community have just like all together just decided to as a whole turn off that box yeah i mean there's still people posting about oh my game is is in the top four and i i'm very fond of looking at that and seeing whether they beat honey heist which yep. as you know is the <laughs> only indie game that exists the only one the only literally the only one um, uh, <laughs> yeah but I, like yeah um yeah, i can't remember who posted it but someone like tweeted like Hey, I'm making this game called Beating the Bear. It's about getting your game over Honey Heist and Ichio's top physical rankings. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like Oh my god, I, I actually want to make that game. <laughs> right? Holy shit. That would be hilarious. Just as like a joke. Mm-hmm. Because I saw another tweet that was like Oh my god, it was just like a dig on every every Twitch stream. Every D&D Twitch stream, the only indie game they are allowed to play when they decide to play an indie game is Honey Heist. That's it. That's the only mm-hmm. thing. That's the only they thing. could play Fiasco, but they have to fill out a couple forms first and get permission from the council. Oh, my God. <laughs> have you ever petitioned the council to run something other than Honey Heist? I, they don't even have it on the forms, I'll, I'll tell you. I know. It's a write-in, <laughs> and like you have to do it in triplicate. It is exhausting. You got to play 20 questions with our dark overlords. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Pain in the ass. Just play on Heist. Just play on Heist. Uh, I love getting salty with my guests about games. Um, I like Honey Heist a lot. That's the thing. Yeah, it's Although, like a fun game to play. Yeah. For me, though, it's mostly just like a vehicle for bear puns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyway, we were talking about my games. Yes, um, and back to those, because you have a few that are for game jams, and I I love that game jams have encouraged people to make games, and specifically encouraged you to make games. Um, The game jam that I really, really love is the recent Belonging Outside Belonging game jam, and you wrote Sanctuary. Is it Sanctuary or Sanctuary? Sanctuary. And you wrote Sanctuary for that game, which is a phenomenal game about um like magic and like being gay no Uh, let's 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 the the elevator pitch is it's about gay wizard nuns (laughs) let's cut to let's let's cut the fat here it's about gay wizard nuns (laughs) (laughs) um do you want to talk a little bit about sanctuary so yeah sanctuary is not the belonging outside belonging game i thought i was going to write Mm -hmm. um Wow, it really all comes back to my roommate. For reference, my roommate and I have been best friends for nearly 10 years, and we do everything together. Mm. Um, so, 
ultimately, I wanted to write a belonging outside belonging game that she would play. And what does she like? Religion. What does she like? Nuns. So I started writing this and I'm like, Ayo, what if magic? (laughs) What if magic and gay? If you could see my face right now, I'm making a very like expanding galaxy brain expression. Mm. Um, So yeah, you play as a group of nuns. There's, you know, the novice, the mother, the convert, and the scholar so far. Um, And it is a game about straining against your relationship to a place that has a hold on you, a place where you know that you are absolutely safe. Mm Mm-hmm. And also about your relationship with whatever divine figure you make. Uh, Even more than, like, writing a game about gay wizard nuts, it was also an exercise in laying shit out in my layout program of choice, Serif Page Plus. Mm -hmm. Um, Every game I make, I try to learn something new layout-wise. And I think Sanctuary looks really fucking good. It does. Yeah. But I love the belonging outside belonging framework. I played a game of Dream Askew on a stream last year, and it was one of the greatest things I've ever done creatively. Mm-hmm. You know, I had two hours to whip two people through this game. So I've wanted to make a belonging outside belonging game for a long time. Mm-hmm. And Sanctuary actually takes a lot from Dream Apart, which is about shtetl life, and I also spent a lot of time looking at Erica Shepard's Exodus, Yeah, which is a really good game that I want to play someday, which is about trans angels on the run. Um, I used it a lot of... I hope you can't tell, but I want to just shout <laughs> it out, because I used a lot of it as uh, inspiration for individual things in playbooks, like getting outside of the dream askew mm-hmm. mold of you know what looks can be and so on and so forth if yeah. that makes any sense so i i think you touched on it a little bit but i want to talk a, a little bit more about finding the game that you are like meant to write and when you said like this is not the belonging outside belonging game that i thought i was going to write it touched on that for me because like and I don't know if this is your experience, but I find often when I am designing games, I will start out writing one thing and it becomes another. And I have no clue what the process is or like what those intervening steps are. And so having you mention that, you know, is something that I want to talk about because I think that that's something that I'm curious about. When I play a game, I automatically want to put it into outer space. So the belonging outside belonging game that I thought I was going to write, you know, mm-hmm. when I when if when I had world enough in time was, you know, about the denizens of a space station and who makes it run. And I even have like notes for it somewhere that I'm probably just never going to get to because there's another out, outer space game that I want to write. Mm-hmm. The point being, um, yeah. So I never even got to writing that down. It's just this idea seized hold of me one day while I was sitting on a washing machine in the laundry room in my apartment building's murder basement. And it just didn't let go. And I'm like, you know what? Fine. I fucks with this. Let's mm-hmm. just see, let's see where this goes. Yeah. So oh, yeah. I'm, I don't know. I feel like in tabletop games, there's... Especially for jams where, like, there's such a mass of things being written. 
Mm-hmm. I can just move on to a different idea. It's fine. Mm-hmm. It's fine. But, you know, it this sanctuary at least had a pretty clear genesis, which is, I'm going to write a game about nuns for my roommate. Mm-hmm. For my best friend. I had a question. As soon as I opened my mouth, it disappeared. Quick shout out to apartment murder basements, though. Yeah, fucking A. I just, <laughs> I just moved to a place that does not have a murder basement, but I, it also does not have a washer dryer. So oh, I no. So I to go to a laundromat. That's the trade-off. <laughs> yeah, fucking A. You're not haunted, but you can't wash your clothes. Yeah. No, I'm trying to think about a game that uh, did, so you can, like, stitch that did, like, change radically from Inception to... No, I feel like I just have a game idea and, and I follow through with it. Hell yeah. Which yeah. is respectable. Yeah, I mean, that's this is the only creative medium where it is like that, where I do not have to drastically scale things back. Um, you know, with fiction, it is a very long editing process. Shout out to my friend Joe and anybody who has ever edited me for a very long time. <laughs> and with Twine Games, you know, they've all been written for game jams. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, A Garden Enclosed, which is about... With gay wizards investigating a creepy greenhouse. I had to scale that back so drastically um, from what I thought I was going to be able to do in two weeks. So games are unique in that I intentionally keep it very small because I know I'm working with a time limit. Mm-hmm. And I know what I can do in that time limit. And it's not right, say, an entire Forge in the Dark game. Fuck that shit. Yeah. I'm keeping it to like three pages. Sanctuary, which is what? Page of intro, four playbooks, two more pages. That's like six pages long. That was ambitious for a game jam game for me. Mm-hmm. And Hard Times was also a lot. Hard Times is 12 pages long. Mm-hmm. That's That was a lot of text to write for a game jam. But yeah, keep your ideas manageable and you won't veer off them. Oh, that's easy for me to say. Other people have different creative processes, I guess. Yeah. And I think it's very easy to look at, like, big games. And I'm glad that you mentioned, like, Forged in the Dark games or, like, you know, anything that is chunky or huge, I think, is what we've seen as, like, the default for so long because the the publishing model wasn't there for smaller games. But now that we're seeing like people put out one page games or six page games or 12 page games even like it's so easy to just make these tiny things and I want to I want to do more to encourage people to jump into that and make those self-indulgent games that I can like see while I scroll through itch. Yeah, I, I always feel kind of bad when people say their first. Oh, yeah, this is my first game. I want to make a blades hack. I'm like. Oh, you're in for a really bad time. That's yeah, you don't a need lot to. of work. <laughs> That's a lot of work. You poor thing. Yeah. I say this as somebody who loves Blades in the Dark with my whole heart. Never gonna hack it, though. Never in yeah. my life. Mm-mm. Too much fucking work. <laughs> Too much work. Yeah. I like small games. Yeah. Small games are great. Um... What is it about gay wizards that's just, like, so compelling? Gay wizard nuns, first of all. Um, well, um, also with a garden enclosed, gay wizards. I like gay um, shit, and I like wizards. F- fair. <laughs> <laughs> in particular in Sanctuary, where, you know, one of the setting elements is the divine. Like, 
straight up, the divine shows up. Mm-hmm. And it has things that it wants that are that are compelling. Um, I wanted to sort of explore the tension between here's this power you have that can change the world. And here is a power that is the world that you have devoted your whole life to. What do you do with that? Um, in A Garden Enclosed, which, fuck me, that needs some proofreading. Gay wizards. Um, it's about the futility of all your power in the face of something that you cannot understand and also being gay Mm -hmm. um and um also if you if you are listening to this and decide to go play my twine games just like big old content warning for body horror and death um that was i was working some shit out (laughs) and being self-indulgent so it's not like creepy creepy but like it's not like it's not like excessive but it's it's definitely present Mm -hmm. so yeah um magic is a vehicle for body horror magic is a vehicle for um things outside your grasp magic is a body horror for magic magic as a vehicle for exploring what it means to be knowledgeable um there's one more playbook i want to add to sanctuary that's like there's already the scholar, which is sort of basically the scholar from Dream Apart, but like with wizardry and in in a convent. Um, but I want to add another playbook called the Magus, which is just like you're you are partially nun, but mostly wizard. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is on my to do list now that I'm between game jams. Between game jams is such a like a 2019 phrase now. Yes, I'm I'm between game jams right now, darling. I'm not doing <laughs> that right now for the next few months. I have other things to work on. Oh, gosh, excellent. We haven't talked about virtuous service yet. Listen, it's a great game, and also I think my first like, so virtuous service was part of the sad mech jam, and it was the first game that I saw of yours, and I like I feel like maybe we had interacted on Twitter a couple times before then. Had we? I have no idea. Maybe. Maybe. Um, <laughs> who knows anything about the internet these days? Yeah. Okay. So I became aware of your podcast during the Sad Mech Jam because okay. Takuma underscore Okada underscore past guest friend of the show. Yeah. Um, we've been we've been friends since like the beginning of last year. Um, and I was meeting up with her in Boston. While the Sad Mech Jam was running, and we spent a day hanging out, and she mentioned to me, "Oh yeah, I'm going to be on this podcast called Game Closet." And I'm like, "What the fuck is Game Closet?" <laughs> and she's like, "Oh, it's it's a podcast where they interview gay game designers." And I'm like, "Okay, cool." It was cold as shit, and we were going into a yarn store to warm up, and you know, so she was telling me about, you know, oh yeah, I'm getting interview. They're interview. Taylor's interviewing this somebody named John Harness, and Sasha Renault's going to be on. I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. I'm looking at Yarm. So, like, about a third of my attention is on Takuma at this point. But then I started listening to it after I knew that Takuma was going to be on it. Um, so, yeah. And this was also at the same time I was writing Virtuous Service. So, anyway, that's that's my history with the podcast. Kind mm-hmm. of not paying attention to Takuma. Takuma, I'm sorry, you had to find out this way. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we can cut this audio. <laughs> oh, no. Keep it in, baby. Keep it in. <laughs> God, good. Um, no shame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, Virtuous Service is was my game for Sad Mech Jam. It mm-hmm. is a hack of Caroline Hobbs' Downfall, which is about the 
death of a society. And it takes those stakes and reduces them down to a single mech, a single pilot, and the ghosts of all the mech's previous pilots. Mm-hmm. Um... Over the course of the game, you play out the pilot's slow degradation and eventual death and absorption into the machine. It's kind of depressing. Yeah. It's almost like this was a jam about sad mechs. Almost. It's almost, um, yeah. And I know the easy answer to this is because there was a, ga- a jam about sad mechs, but like, what... It's obviously a very compelling prompt. Like, there were so many submissions to the there were Sad Mech 177 and 178. Actually, for your show notes, I made a spreadsheet of them all sorted by number of players, but that's not uh-huh. here nor there. We're talking about my game. Uh, but yes, <laughs> compelling prompt. Yeah. And so, writing Virtuous Service, what, what to you was something that you wanted to say, here is my take on Sad Mechs? Well, obviously, it's a little bit inspired by divines and candidates and friends at the table. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much excerpts and divines from Twilight Mirage, but definitely like the counterweight fucked up. You are very young and this machine, you are being put into this machine, which will eventually use you up and move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. And I like, yo, how does the divine feel about that? Like... All these young people being consumed by its body. Yo, that's real fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. And originally, I I had the framework I was using was a little bit of Reflections, which is Mm -hmm. Big Deep Sigh, a game, a two-player game about dueling samurai who eventually kill each other in the end, Mm -hmm. written by a white person. We don't bangs with that, but we do bangs with, like, the skeleton of the game, which can be used to tell very compelling stories, mm-hmm. and it goes through a set sequence of scenes, um, which seems to be a thing common to two-player games, but I think, I cannot quite remember, but I think it might have been Takuma who put me onto Downfall as an engine. Mm. I don't know. We talked for a very long time in the train about said mech jam, so at some point it became a straight-up Downfall hack. Yeah. Um, so what is the message that Virtuous Service sends about how that mech feels about this game? Or not about this game, but about the pilots? Because I, I, when, you, when you were talking about that core of it, that really piqued my attention. And you know, I, I keep always thinking about like, what is the question that this game asks? Or what are the, the answers that it tries to give for these questions that it presents? Um, is that something that is, you know, brought into the game itself, or do you leave that for the players to answer? Well, it's it is a very tight game. You go through mm-hmm. a series of four, three cycles of four scenes, three or more cycles of four scenes each, and the pilot is the hero of the game. The pilot gets two scenes per cycle. One of them is just like a valve for you to decompress. It literally says decompress and process. But the machines scene was actually the hardest. The machine was the hardest part of this game to get right. Mm. Because you have the pilot who is slowly dying and everybody gets to play the pilot. You have the revenant who, you know, frames scenes about systematically eroding the pilot's sense of self. Um, Mm -hmm. 
and you know the person being the revenant gets to be super duper duper creepy about it yeah but like the pilot was not the pilot the machine was really hard um because i went through a lot of iterations of this text um like what does the machine want Mm -hmm. oh i'm about to burp again i'm not that's infuriating cut that (laughs) Um, in between the pilot dying and the the Revenant trying to hasten this death, what the fuck does the machine do? The machine is... And I have a blog post about this that I was trying to write to clarify my thoughts. Mm-hmm. The machine is both, like, the site of the destruction and whether it wants to be or not the agent of this destruction, at least in part. Um, so it was really a matter of... Over the course of four play tests in a week, two by me, two by my friend Kai at Alpha39 on Twitter, um, like tweaking that so that it felt like the machine had something to do and a stake in the story, while also, while also balancing it out so that the mech's scene was flavorful and contributed to the story. Mm-hmm. So... The four scenes are what? Acknowledgement, Resolution, Pursuance, and Solemn, which are also the four movements of John Coltrane's A Love Supreme, Self-Indulgence. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold that. Um, So yeah, it's, you know, it went from one of my iterations, I have it up right now, is, you know, the machine frames a scene about how it and the Revenant influence the pilot when they are not in battle. Um, and there's, you know, a series of questions after that. And that didn't work because it was not a scene about the machine. Okay. It was still about the pilot. Um, yeah. 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 And, you know, in the final iteration. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Okay. So the original iteration of the machine scene was the machine frames a scene about it and the revenant using the pilot as an interface for the outside world. Um, and there was a lot of this. There was a lot of this in early drafts about um, the machine using the pilot as an interface. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, it is old and its its consciousness is incomprehensibly vast. And I eventually moved away from that to um, the machine just like wanting a friend. It wants a friend. Mm. Okay. As opposed to it needs an interface. And that... <clears throat> Eventually refining and clarifying that. Shout out to all my playtesters. I'm sorry I made you sad. Um, <laughs> eventually refining that is what made me finally get the machine right. Mm-hmm. And I realized that as as you were trying to like find different iterations, I could have just gone and looked at it because I've downloaded this game. <laughs> like I could have pulled up the live version. Yeah. I apologize. No, it's okay. I've got like, oh my God, I've got... Uh, let's see, Virtuous Service, Virtuous Service 01, Virtuous Service 02, Virtuous Service 03, Virtuous Service 04, Virtuous Service for reals, and then like the final version, <laughs> which has my name on it. Yeah. So there's a lot of versions. <laughs> but the, the initial iteration I pulled up is very close to the final one. Yeah. But yeah, this is this was a very early version that I'm looking at. Okay. Yeah. If you want it, I can show it to you. It's not I would different. love to see it, yeah. yeah. It's not that different. Because I, I love seeing like progress of how games change over their development. Yeah. Um, and it's more from, like, a curiosity standpoint, I think, Not than an, anything else. Oh, you else. fucked that up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. The earliest version was absolutely terrible, and, and shout out to my friends for, say, like, patting my head and telling me that I'm pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so... So I am still, like, getting into mechs. Like, my experience with mech fiction is not, like, a lot. I have Pacific Rim, maybe some of the original Gundam, and then now I'm, like, 12 episodes into the new... Not new, but into uh, Evangelion that Netflix has, which oh. I had never seen before. Oh, yeah. Like, um, all my experience with mechs was counterweights. I watched Evangelion when I was too old to be annoyed by Shinji, but too young to relate to Shinji. Um, mm. So, like, when I was 22. Mm-hmm. Um, and, oh, my God, what else have I watched? That's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. So that's where I was coming from with this game. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, I love... Oh, and I've played Firebrands. Okay. That's, that's, those are my three mech touchstones. <laughs> I haven't actually had a chance to get Firebrands going yet, but I want to so bad. Oh my god, it whips. It absolutely whips. Yeah. I have heard nothing but that from people. Yeah. Um, but, like, there's something... To, and I don't know that I have a good question for this. So I might stumble through this and I might cut me stumbling through it. But like making a game in a genre that you are not familiar with, picking up like what archetypes are like important to you or like what archetypes you have seen or like are playing with. Like it's almost like trying to build like a Lego model when you are putting blocks in. I don't, this is a bad analogy. Cut that future taylor but like i am interested in people's sad mech games who maybe aren't like super obsessed about sad mechs yeah i mean maybe i don't have the most experience with mech fiction but like everybody knows the shared tropes of war stories Mm -hmm. everybody knows the shared tropes of i don't know i've had an up-close-and-personal view of the dying process over and over and over again, sort of industrialized. I worked in a nursing home for, like, three years. Um, That's part of where this game comes from, which I did not realize until recently. Um, So, even if you don't know mechs, you know, cool robot, you know, war is bad, you know, people dying sucks, and that's that's a place to start. That's all you need. That's all you need. And, you know, spec- the one of the constraints of the jam was that, like, it cannot focus on mech fighting. There are, mm-hmm. lots of, there are lots of games to be made that are not about fighting. And the other constraint, which I wish more game jams would do, was that your shit had to be four pages or less. Yeah. Um, which was incredibly helpful for forcing you to narrow down the scope. Mm-hmm. Um I do not think Virtuous Service would be as good as it is if it was a longer game. If I had not mm. had to cram absolutely everything into four pages. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, the combination of, you don't know Max, but you know something like Max, mm-hmm. and a page constraint will do an amount of the work for you. Yeah. The rest is just, like, writing the game, I guess. Who writes games? Who writes games? What kind of nerds write games? Game writers? Bunch of weird nerds. Oh my god. Tell me about it. It's, I mean, Virtuous Service is like a really, I mean, here's the thing. It's a really fucking good game, and all of your games are really fucking good games. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty v- great. I'm pretty great. Yeah. 
Uh, so we are hitting that time where we usually transition into listener questions and boy, howdy, do we have a few. So I'm very excited. Um, but before we do that, I've started asking folks to come on with, uh, a call to action, um, maybe something to contact their representatives about a nonprofit organization to donate time or money to, um, what would you like to talk to our listeners about that they can take to make their world a better place? Hmm. I've been thinking about this one. Hey, friends, it's me, your girl, Sam. I was thinking about, there's a lot of cancer in my life right now. So maybe look up your local cancer center, your local cancer treatment center, and donate to them a little bit of money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of my close friends on the internet has cancer right now, and I'm thinking about her. And yes, the rest of the world exists, but that is my call to action. Donate to cancer research. Don't you cancel research. Hell yeah. Thank you. All right. James back here. Hopefully that gave you a pretty good taste of what Game Closet is all about. Go check out Sam Day, who is at Passerines on Twitter. You can also find her games, the games like Hard Times, Sanctuary, and Virtuous Service that they talked about in this episode on her itch.io page, which is Passerines, P-A-S-S-E-R-I-N-E-S dot itch.io. Io. Go support her, go support Taylor, go listen to all their podcasts. Now, we couldn't leave without giving you a taste of the listener questions. So here is a great one. Uh, we'll end the episode on that. But as you're listening to it, don't forget to stop, hack, and roll. That, I think, is going to get us to the best question that has ever been asked uh, by a listener question. Um, and this comes to us from Kid, who is at Kid Spanner. And they want to know, who are your favorite wrestlers, and what sort of cooking lube would they be if they were one? Alright, so, you know, I've been talking about Kid. Kid is the person who got me into wrestling and asked me this question, probably specifically to torment me <laughs> and you. Um, okay. Because I'm, it's, listen, I was going to apologize for getting a little horny, but also you had John Harness on talking about sucking big old dicks in an out Yeah, I mean, listen. <laughs> so listen... You can, you will survive this. Okay, so I narrowed it down to six, and I'm going to go pretty quickly through them. Um, mm -hmm. First, I'm going to start with female wrestlers. Um, the aforementioned Ember Moon would be sesame oil because she is just delicious. Um, Mako Satomura, who is your mean auntie, she's like past 40 and still going strong. Um, Good for her. She is incredibly powerful. Um, Hell yeah. She is. The God. Your favorite wrestler is a Mako Sadamura fan um, and wants to get fucking kicked in the face by her. I would like to get <laughs> kicked in the face by her, to be perfectly honest. Um, and as I go through this, I have made you a Google Doc of reference pictures that I'm going okay. to put in the Google Hangout so you can follow along. Um, put this oh, yes, please. Yes. This is like... The Game Closet ARG, <laughs> yes. and I'm loving it. <laughs> so yes, uh, Mako Satomura, your mean auntie, is, um, she is peanut oil, because she makes everything taste better. Nothing weird. Kind of weird. Mm -hmm. um, Io Shirai is a Joshi legend, much like Mako, and oh my god, she is hot, she's mean, she doesn't need any of you, she has finally broke, she's in WWE now, and I'm looking forward to her being horrifically misused and not allowed to wrestle well, but they finally, like, let her be an arrogant heel. Um, if you, hmm, look at the 
first Tumblr post on my list, like, you will see her being, like, basically, like, pretend breaking somebody's arm in the ring, and I'm ready to bust it open. Um, so she is a really high-quality olive oil. Mm. Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is important. Yes, this is this is very important content. And if you are when you are listening at home, dear friends and readers, please go into the show notes and look at Yoshirai breaking somebody's fake breaking somebody's arm. If you look at nothing else, um, on to the male wrestlers. Um, Tetsuya Naito, one of my faves, and the reason I am into wrestling, um, he's canola oil because he's good with everything. He's good with everything. Mm. Um, he's got like. This accessible hot dad look um, is truly a father to the men in his faction. And also, he wears a suit to the ring that he strips out of. Um, mm. He's got It's like tearaway pants. And the first time I watched it, I was like, wow. I don't know why that's hot, because he's kind of he's only just kind of okay in the face department. But this is really attractive. Um, Next is the Velveteen Dream, who I do not have reference images of, because I just realized I wanted to add him to my list this morning. Um, He is... (laughs) Imagine if Prince was, like, six foot three and absolutely ripped. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking at the Google image search for Velveteen Dream, and now he's my favorite wrestler. He really is. He really is. Um, His his feud with Aleister Black was... um, Simple and beautiful, and yet another inspiration for hard times. Because um, it was so gay. It was, you know, like this this young wrestler demanding recognition from an indie legend. And the crux of the feud was that Velveteen Dream just wanted Aleister Black to say his name. That's it. Say his name. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, there was like... Lots of beatdowns and pelvic thrusting and Dream coming to the ring dressed as Aleister Black um, to get his attention that Aleister would not give him. Just would not give him. Anyway, um, he has coconut oil because I'm sure that hair takes a lot of coconut oil to keep uh, right. And last but not least, Jeff Cobb. Jeff Cobb really hits all... I have five metrics for the attractiveness of a male wrestler. Um, this is getting really long-winded for the men's segment, but whatever. No, it's perfect. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so do you, know, do you want to know what they are? Of course you do. Um, yes. And are you looking at Jeff Cobb right now? Uh, I am looking at that first Instagram post. I'm getting that, that Tumblr post up and running, okay. too. All right. So, first, is he thick? Does he have body check um is his does he have a good look like is he is he serving me looks does he wear an interesting outfit i happen to really like wrestling singlets um check is he handsome in the face department hell yes check um what is the quality of his nipples what is the placement with jeff cobb i don't actually know because they are covered with his singlet at all times you want know fuck it check and are the <laughs> matches that he puts on homoerotic fellas is it gay to toss another man around in the ring absolutely check um so jeff cobb is also coconut oil 